Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. William Alexander is more than a Francophile. He wants to be French. There's one small problem. He doesn't speak the language. And in his book, Flirting with French, How a Language Charmed Me, Seduced Me, and Nearly Broke My Heart, he sets out to conquer the language he loves. But will it love him back? He eats, breathes, and sleeps French. He travels to France, nearly drowns in an immersion class in Provence. And while playing hooky from grammar lessons and memory techniques, he reports in the Académie Française, explores the science of human connection, and uh, trades barbs with a futuristic handheld translator. Does he succeed in becoming fluent? Well, he's surprised to discover that studying French may have had a far greater impact on his life than actually learning to speak ever would. William Alexander has previously attempted to build a perfect garden and bake a perfect loaf of bread. Adventures chronicled in his books The $64 Tomato and 52 Loaves, a Half-Baked Adventure. He's a frequent NPR guest, occasional New York Times op-ed contributor, lives in New York's Hudson Valley. Welcome to the program, William Alexander. Thank you, Tom. Nice to be with you. Appreciate you uh, being with us uh, today. Um, so you've been compared a bit. To, I'm sure you've heard these comparisons to George Plimpton, sort of experiential um, yeah, adventures, and you chronicle these. Um, so $64 tomato, the quest for the perfect garden, 52 loaves, your quest for the perfect loaf of bread. Um, it wouldn't immediately uh, be logical to, to go to uh, learning French, but I think you've harbored this uh, desire for a long time. Yeah, I, I, you know, since since I was about 22, and um, I think I think the best quote was uh, someone called me a, uh, a a poor man's George Plimpton, where he was uh, he's playing with Detroit Tigers, and I'm baking a loaf of bread. Right, right. But I I appreciate the uh, the the com- comparisons. I I went to France at the age of of 22. And uh, I had a couple years in school and hated French. I just hated it. Dropped it the first chance that I that I had, and immediately re- re- regretted that when I got to France. Fell in love with the 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 country and found myself though saying things to to waiters like, "I'll have the ham and newspaper, and my son will have my daughter." <laughs> and I thought maybe I should learn some French. <laughs> now, what is it about? About France, you you fell in love with the, with the country, the, with the culture. What? Uh, why? Yeah, I you know I did. I you know coming from a kid that you know grew up in the New York area and and going to France, and I had no money. I was I was backpacking through it, and it is just so different from the from the states. And and when you're young, I was like 22. You know, you kind of get him in. in impressed with uh, with certain things but you know it's a country the size of of texas it has a climate in various parts of the state that you'd have to go to the entire u.s to to find and the food is fantastic and the people uh, are said by um, many uh, 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 americans to be rude and and uh, impatient i found the 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 opposite to be true and it just seems like a more civilized country. Um, it's a place to be an author, for sure. There, there are television shows that just have authors on them. Um, you know, you can, you can make a, a job out of being a philosopher. <laughs> That's your job title, you know. Um, yet, at the, at the same time, they're a, a, a country that they think nothing of sending their four, 14-year-olds off to be an, an apprentice, and you're going to be a baker for the rest of your, of your life. It's a land of many contra, 
addictions and a, a land of many joys, and it can drive you nuts too. <laughs> but um, but I just fell in fell in love with it. I'm still in love with France. I'm, I'm glad in the book you you mentioned Eric Romay. You said you fell in love with the, those films. Um, it's I, I, I'm recalling a commercial I saw a television commercial where uh, I can't remember what they're selling, but the uh, the punchline was why are foreign films so foreign? Um, in the films of Eric Romay, for example, nothing happens, and yet it's it's glorious. It's wonderful filmmaking. Yeah, you know, there are two two types of French films. There are, you know, those of the man loves woman, loves man, loves another woman variety, in which, you know, feature women in, you know, beautifully tied scarves. And then there are those that are about, like, angst and existential crises, and, and nothing happens in them, but they somehow grab you and I, I probably I have as many French films on my on my net Netflix queue as, as American films at any any given time um, it's a, just a different sen- sensibility you know it's you know, I don't want to come off as a as a Franco snob it, you know parts of it are better parts of it are not better um, even though I dream of becoming French could I live there I don't know I kind of like the Hudson Valley too hmm now Language and culture seem to me to be, I don't know, inextricably bound. Um, and and so I guess it's important to pick up the language, right, if you want to really immerse yourself in the culture. Did, did, you, did you find that? Yeah, and that's the problem with some of our self-study tools, you know, not to mention any, any names. But there's one that's a very popular uh, software-based tool. They have like, you know, 46 languages. Well, they use the same photographs in every single language. And so you never feel like you're really, you're really part of the, of the culture. And the, the person that probably taught me that the best was um, I took on a French Skype partner through a, a, a social media language site. And this is, um, for anyone who's trying to learn language, it's, it's a nice way to learn you find someone, there's a matching thing, someone that wants to learn your language, you want to learn theirs, and Skype is, of course, free. And, and I tried to talk with this woman. The problem was she wanted really to practice her English, and at one point I said to her, you know, you know can I just speak in French and you speak in English, but can you please correct everything that I say wrong? So I learned something from this. And, and she said in that manner that only the, uh, the, the French can do. She says, well, if I correct every error, we cannot have a conversation. <laughs> so, but at the end of that, I, I said to her, um, I tried to be kind of grandiose, and I said, uh, il était un grand plaisir. It was a great pleasure to have spoken with you. And, and, and she stopped, and that one she wanted to correct. She said, uh, il était un grand plaisir. I can almost feel her tongue coming across the Atlantic Ocean and, and touching my ear. And she said, if you're going to speak the language, you have to feel the language. She said, you know, when I tried to uh, learn English, I was a little haughty. And she said, when I learned German, she said, well, German, don't ask. <laughs> but if you're going to if you're going to learn French, you have to think like a like a Frenchman. And and someone else at a, a meetup group that I I went to said the same thing. He looked at my na- name tag and it said Bill. He said you're not Bill, you're Guy, you're Guillaume. You have to take on your French identity. And 
And I tried, and um, the problem is that Guillaume would tend to come on mainly when I'd had a couple too many glasses of Cote de Rhone. Um, but it's very true, though. You cannot separate the culture and, and the language. You, you dedicate the book to Guy. Yes. Is, I that, is that to yourself? Yeah, it's to my alter ego, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, the, it's, it's the Frenchman that I wanted to be, and I never quite made it there. So I thought, you know what? I'm not, I may not be done yet, so let me keep the good karma flowing, and I will, I will dedicate the book to my alter ego, Guy. Hmm. So uh, feeling the language, uh, getting yourself in that mindset, almost like a role that you're, that you're playing. What, um, that's interesting. That it can tend to I get into stereotypes, I guess, as, as the lady you're talking to. Um, yeah, you know, and sort you know, of it's, it's a little... I'm sorry. Uh, uh, no, uh, so, so I was going to ask, um, uh, do you think that's true, and, and uh, what's your character when you get into Guy? <laughs> well, Guy is sort of like my, uh, my version of uh, Scaramouche, you know, who swings down from the chandelier with a, a sword in one hand and a glass of Vin Rouge in the, in the other. But the main thing about Guy, which helps you speak French is that he's not afraid to try. And one of the problems that, that English speakers have with learning French is that, frankly, it sounds so silly to us. We all feel like we're doing kind of uh, a, an, an Inspector Clouseau with, uh, you know, Peter Sellers saying, do you have a home? <laughs> you know, bringing that R up from his mm-hmm. liver some somewhere, and we feel silly, so we avoid doing that, but that's actually pretty close to how French sounds. And we're also afraid to be criticized, we're afraid to sound foolish, and so if you can step out of that skin and, and get yourself into a French frame of, of mind, and the French do speak differently from us, too. They they tend to speak very quickly and they tend to tie their words together and they and they tend to do a lot of uh uh in be in between if you get into that it's like you're putting on a costume and you're not Clark Kent anymore you've got a little bit of of superman in you so much of language is is just attitude and so much is just trying and being willing able to fail and I'll tell you, it's it's easier to say than it is to, to do. Yeah, it, it's certainly true. Um, I want to go back briefly to, to language and culture. Um, and, and I wonder if you can ever really get there if you're not native. You know, speaking both uh, both as uh, language acquisition and, and with the culture. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm thinking of a Portuguese word, saudades. Um, which is so enchanting to me. It can't really be translated into English. Um, it, it has something to do with a, a state of nostalgia or, or melancholy, a longing for an absent someone. But, uh, you know, Portuguese speakers, Brazilians tell me to just, you know, I, I, they can't translate it. And so that right. there's, there's kind of a gulf there. And I, I want to get there, but I don't know if I'll, you know, would ever be able to get there. You're, you're never going to be able to get there. But, but you can get closer, and, and I think, you know, I, you know, back to this issue of, you know, what does the language say about the, the culture? I, I was shocked when I was over in a, an immersion class in, uh, in France to find out that the French don't have a, 
a dedicated word for wife. They have one for husband, but for wife, woman and wife is the same word. And the same is true for daughter and son. When you talk about a fee, you could be talking about your daughter or the girl who milks the cows. And I was over at there at the time when um, there was this business with the, uh, the DSK scandal, the French, um, the World Bank um, official who had, um, uh, had a sexual, um, what's the word I want, uh, with, with a maid in the, in, the ho- in the hotel, and he was being kept on Rikers Island in uh, New York. And the French were up in arms over this. And the women were up in arms <laughs> over this. And I said to the, one of the teachers, do you think this has something to, to, to do with it? It's a known fact that, you know, men, you know, take on uh, mis- 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 mistresses in, uh, in, in France as a common and accepted thing. The women uh, don't take on male counterparts. And does that, that lack of a single word, does that tell us something? It's not the cause, certainly. But does that tell us something about how men and, and women view each self, uh, each other? Idioms, too, are, are fun to, to look at. In, in this country, a groom ties the knot. In France, a groom puts a noose around his, his neck. Mm, so, yeah, that, that might tell you something, reflecting the, the culture, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to take up the, this idea of idioms. That's probably the hardest part of any language is is not the I guess the words themselves but these phrases we use as shorthand uh, and it can be maddening for anybody trying to learn a, a second language uh, we'll talk about that we'll talk about the Academy Francaise can you really control a language top down it seems <laughs> seems to us silly but there is the Academy Francaise for 400 years been trying to do it uh, and we'll talk about uh, how you how you try to learn a language, and can you learn a language starting at age 57? Uh, science would uh, tell you, at least some scientists, that uh, the older you get, the harder it gets. William Alexander tried it, and uh, his book is Flirting with French. We'll talk about this more following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread in Logan, open Monday through Friday until 3 p.m., a wholesale retail company dedicated to crafting a selection of artisan breads and pastries using old-world techniques of preparation and baking. Information at crumbbrothers.com. This Thursday on the Zesty Garden, you'll learn how victory gardens were used to sustain families in World War II. And if field bindweed is in every nook and cranny of your garden, find out the best way to control it. The timing is right now. You'll also hear about using the southwestern white pine in your landscape, adding the tillandsia plant to your bathroom decor, and how to freeze fruits and vegetables for midwinter eating. That's the Zesty Garden, Thursday morning at 10 o'clock from Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guest for the hour is William Alexander. Age 57, he set out to, uh, to, to I guess, cross one of the items off on his bucket list, uh, learn French. 
and uh, it was uh, it was a pitched battle, and uh, we'll ask him if he came out in the end victorious. Uh, a lot of uh, different methods that he used, including um, using Rosetta Stone and, and some other programs. And along the way, he uh, talks to scientists about language acquisition and what uh, learning uh, another language does for us, the benefits. We're talking about his book, Flirting with French, How a Language Charmed Me, Seduced Me, and Nearly Broke My Heart. Uh, William Alexander has previously attempted to build the perfect garden and bake a perfect loaf of bread. Ventures chronicled in his books, The $64 Tomato and 52 Loaves. If you'd like to join the conversation, we'd love to have you at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can join us uh, by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Perhaps you have a, an experience uh, learning a second language. Utah is uh, one of the most bilingual states in the nation. Um, and uh, tell us how, how it went how you feel language and culture uh, connect, uh, anything else you'd like to talk about. Uh, we're on Twitter as well. Join us at Utah Public Radio. And we have a couple of extra incentives. We have uh, some tickets to give out to you. All you have to do is call or email me. Tell me you'd like those uh, tickets. We have 12 uh, tickets to the Leonardo in Salt Lake City with their Gallery of Fear and the Hall of Light and Shadows. That's running through October 31st. And we have three pairs of tickets to a cowgirl concert with Western musician Ellie Barcy and Western poet Doris Daly. That's happening on October 28th at the American West Heritage Center. Uh, so, uh, William Alexander, you, uh, you set this goal. You're going to learn French. The problem is you're pretty old to start learning a language. Uh, some scientists will tell you it's, you know, it's, it's maybe too late. Um, uh, tell me what uh, what you found when you talked to uh, to scientists. Uh, why that is? Why it's easier? And we we know it's easier because we see kids picking up language easier when you're young. Yeah, and that was one of the things that I just found so vexing. How can something that every child? Yeah, and, and I went to a language conference, and he said, you know, the dumbest child that will learn his language better than the smartest adult in this in this room how is something that every child learns before he learns to tie his shoelaces so hard for us and linguists actually don't agree on 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 all the reasons but we do know one one thing for for sure the the two-year-old who hasn't learned to tie his laces has twice as many circuits in his brain as you and i do and we know that at least some of these circuits are there specifically for language. And you get to be around the age of six or seven, and your body says, um, okay, you should have this language thing done by now. Now you have to learn some other skills if you're going to make it in this world, like how to kill a wild boar or, or operate your, your smartphone. And so it takes those circuitries down to make room for other circuits. Um, so you actually cannot learn a first language if you've not been exposed to it uh, after the age of around six or seven. You have a longer time period for second languages, um, but it's, it's still harder because your brain's not as plastic. Um, they found for, uh, they did a study in Japan and we know that Asians often have trouble with our Western R and L sounds. And I'd always thought it was because they just have a hard time saying those sounds uh, because they're not in um, the Oriental languages. 
Well, it turns out the reason they can't say them is that they cannot hear them. An R and an L sound the same to a Japanese person that's not been exposed to them by the age of nine months. So if you're going to speak without an accent, uh, your audience should start prior to the age of nine, of nine months. Um, there are other theories that say, well, language is hard for us because we um, have spent, in my case, 55 years with my first language before I tried to learn my second one. And so you're going to hear every, everything in French. I'm really hearing through the filter of English. Um, and then there are um, uh, hormone levels that we don't have. There's the self-conscious factor that um, I referred to earlier. Um, there's another very interesting theory that says adults are too smart for our own good, that we try to get everything right. Um, and kids don't care. You know, Janie doesn't care if she says, Tommy hit me as long as Tommy gets what's, what's coming to him. Mm -hmm. And I think if, if adults took that approach, I think we would do a little better with it. And when you think about what language is for, it's not to be perfect. The, the purpose of language is to get a thought across to obtain something, whether it's coffee from your waiter or a date with a French woman, and it doesn't matter if you have the tense wrong, you know? So... Uh I guess it's one thing, uh, you know, to, to say I'm not going to be embarrassed, but um, I'm guessing there probably were some times when, you know, you're in France, you're 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 with your wife, and you're you're pulling out your your French uh, the best you can, and uh, you know, making mistakes left and right. Yeah, you know, there was one time too. The French don't always help in this in this regard. Where we we had spent the day um, on our on our bikes, we had cycled about I don't know thirty miles in the rain. We're exhausted. I'm trying to ask this ho hotel clerk who doesn't speak a word of English apparently where to lock the bikes, and and she's using sign language, and I can't figure it out. I'm just exhausted. And so Anne and I, my, my, my wife, we go, we have some oysters, we come back, and I, I have to deal with her again, and I'm dreading it. So I start off by apologizing in my, in my very bad French for the earlier thing with the bike, saying, oh, today, today, fatigue from all the rain and the cycling. And I start talking, and she says, in a very sweet voice, almost no accent, would you prefer I speak in English? <laughs> I said, sure. I went, what? You speak in English? I said, you know, did you just learn it in the past hour while I was eating oysters? Why, why did you put me through all that business with the bikes when you saw how much I struggled and your English is so good? And she just smiled again and she said, you need to practice. <laughs> she, she's helping. Touche is guess. all you can say to that. Yeah, it's, it's some tough love, I guess. Um, <laughs> I wonder what the French, I think, used to be, the the lingua franca, right? And English is... It, uh, yeah, take, I mean, that's where that phrase That's where the from. phrase I mean, come from. To, yeah. uh, now, I mean, it's still spoken by many, many people, but English, I think, has supplanted it as, as the language that people aspire to learn. And maybe Chinese is coming on, um, uh, filling that role. What, how are the French... How are the French uh, what do the French think about that? You know, there was, there was one quote where the French said, um, we have not con contributed anything to the world's languages since the word cho chauffeur. Um, 
I, I think they're very concerned about it. They're very concerned about English uh, coming into French and trying to keep French uh, French pure. Because you know, as we've talked about uh, today, it, it's not just a language to them. It means something to them, and so they have these government bodies, including the um, the um, uh, Academy Francaise, which has been around since the time of, like, uh, you know, King Louis the Sixteenth, and and their job is to decide what is and what isn't French, and it's it's hard um, because largely it's the kids who who make the the rules, um, and so they um, they struggle with words like you know why. Wi-Fi, which they pronounce as we, Wi-Fi, and the Academy Francaise comes up with this long thing, which means you know, uh, internet without wires and <laughs> like eight eight syllables. And you know, I mean, what they don't re- realize is that wi- Wi-Fi is not even a real word word here in, in in English. They just needed something small enough to put on a sticker to put on a lap a laptop and. And someone, I guess, remembered playing his old Charlie Parker records on a hi-fi, so came up with why, Wi-Fi. But they're, they're very serious about keeping the the language pure, and I, you know, uh, can, more, more credit to them. Can it? I, are there sanctions? Can you get fined for using the wrong word? Is it even possible you to can. legislate a language? Okay, you can actually teach. TWA was fined some years ago for issuing boarding passes in English. So they keep passing all of these these laws. Um, it has it has kind of a look sometimes of sticking fingers in a in a dike. Um, but uh, you know, for all of their of their angst and for all of the, you can you know do the camping on the weekend while you eat the hamburger. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, you can't eat a quarter pounder with cheese because, of course, they wouldn't know what a quarter pounder is being on the metric system. So that's a royale. Um, but for all of that, they think that really English only accounts for about 2% per percent of all the, the French words. And, and I guess the Academy Francaise would say that's uh, due in part to our efforts. Uh, yeah. Probably, I honestly, I don't know how much of it is really due to their efforts, but uh, they are trying. They're not, they are not giving up. And French, by the way, is still the most second, uh, most widely spoken language in the in the world. Um, you know, we forget that French once had a very powerful navy and had colonies in the Western Hemisphere, uh, Africa, and so French is still very widely spoken um, language world, worldwide. Do you think this uh, obsession, this concern with purity, does that also reflect uh, the, the culture? But for example, uh, in, in America, at least American English, um, I might decry, and I, I do, I shake my fist at invitation being shortened to invite, and I hear invite all the time now, or or mentor and, and his mentee instead of protege. <laughs> which is, I think, creeping in. But but I recognize that, you know, it's a melting pot ideal and uh, language is going to go where language goes. And yet in France, you have this Academy Francaise, you're trying to keep it pure. Yeah, I don't think there's any, any doubt 
um, about that. For us, language is just a way to communicate. It, 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 it's, it's really nothing more than that. We have no attachment to it. And, and to, to the French, it's part of their army almost. And, and um, it's, a, it's just a very different thing. Um, We're talking uh, on uh, Access Utah today with William Alexander. Uh, he's more than a Francophile. He wants to be French. One small problem, he doesn't speak the language, and so in his book, Flirting with French, How a Language Charmed Me, Seduced Me, and Nearly Broke My Heart, he sets out to learn French. And uh, some uh, hilarious adventures uh, ensue. We're talking about that on the program today. And uh, you're welcome to join us at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or upraxis at gmail.com, and we're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. We have some tickets for you. All you have to do is call or email me, uh, tell you me you want them, them uh, give me your name and, and phone number so we can contact you. Uh, the Leonardo in Salt Lake City has uh, a couple of exhibits for Halloween, the Gallery of Fear and Hall of Light and Shadows, uh, more than exhibits, interactive uh, um, experiences for you. We have uh, 12 tickets. And uh, there's another opportunity, a concert October 28th at the American West Heritage Center in Cache Valley, a, cowboy, a cowgirl concert with uh, Western musician Ellie Barcy and Western poet Doris Daly. We have t- uh, three pairs of tickets to that. 1-800-826-1495, upraxis at gmail.com, and uh, Twitter, at Utah Public Radio. Uh, I wonder if you could uh, talk a little bit, uh, William Alexander, about your trip to, I'm not sure, the it's a conference, and these are a bunch of scientists, professionals on uh, language acquisition. Yeah, it was really how I, how I started, and um, you know, I came out of there so discouraged. Um, it's an annual conference of language teachers, um, and they, you know, they started out, as I said earlier, saying that the smartest adult in this, in this room will, uh, will never learn language as the dumbest kid. Um, I also learned that Finns who moved to Sweden at the age of three uh, never speak without an accent. Um, and they talked about some of the, the cognitive challenges that we face as, as adults in trying to learn a language. But one of the things that I, that I did out of that is um, I, I met with a wonderful teacher there who said, ah, don't, don't, don't buy this, this trope that you can't learn as, as an adult. You're going to hear things like we're too old, we feel stupid, we can't remember all the words, and, and we're not too old, and, and you can. You still have a good memory. Well, to test that theory, I actually took a a cognitive um, assessment um, after the the conference to reassure myself that I was ready to take on this project, found to my shock that I was in the lowest percentile of my age group, the lowest 10th percentile, meaning 9 out of 10 57-year-olds had better memories and other cognitive skills than, than I had, which certainly did not bode well for someone who was about to tackle learning French. But I retook the, uh, the test at the end of 13 months of French study, during, after which I was so exhausted. I did two to three hours a day of French, and when I was in emerging classes, I did 13 hours a day. I feared I was going to do even worse. I was shocked to see that 
my scores had completely re, 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 reversed. I'd gone from the lowest percentile in every test to being above average in every test, even the 88th per, per percentile in one t- I've never been 88th percentile in my life in anything. And it does seem that, you know, in my small study with a, with a sample size of one, that the process of studying French did just amazing things for my, my 57 and, and then 58-year-old mind. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of people now who, um, of, our, of my age, who are going out and buying all of these, you know, memory exercise, brain exercise games. Um, and I, I think they, it's a billion-dollar business now, and I think they might be better off studying the language of their, of their choice which um, I, I spoke to some scientists about this who, who seem to think uh, that studying a language, the very things that make it so hard are what make it uh, good for you because it exercises those same regions of the brain that are the first to go as we, as we start to age. Interesting. I, I was going to ask you what, what the benefits are. So, so you're, it, it's, it's essentially some very good exercise for the brain. Seems like it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're exercising the very parts of the brain that you need to exercise, too. Right, the language centers. Again, look, we all know that language is harder than other things as you, as you age. I mean, I've already found that I could learn to, to bake um, as an adult. I, I've become a decent wood, woodworker. Um, uh, but language just stumped me and stumps most people. Almost no one... Um, who's my age, tackles a foreign language, learns. Most people give up within several months. So why is it so hard? And it seems that it's hard to impact certain regions of the, of the brain. Um, but that very act of, of trying seems to be doing the brain an awful lot of good. Even if you don't reach fluency or, or anywhere close? Yeah, even, even if you don't, the act of, of trying. And there's some other intriguing um, studies since, um, you know, your state is such um, a, bi- a bilingual state. Um, they found that people who are fully bilingual have an onset of diseases like dementia and Alzheimer's on an average of three years later than people who are monolingual. Um, they've done studies of children that are brought up mono lingual and they do better throughout school they score better on tests hmm. um, it seems that it's good for the brain and it's good for the brain at any age so I, I i'm guessing you'd be in favor of they're kind of cropping up all over at least here in utah uh these um language immersion elementary school you start at kindergarten and well first grade i think and and go for several grades uh, learning chinese or or Spanish or Portuguese. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, the thinking was a few years ago um, that um, there was kind of an uprising among parents in some, in some states that tried it, particularly when testing came in. And their thinking was, my kid's going to have enough time <clears throat> passing his, his social studies test. He can't be strugg- struggling with the language, and language isn't important. And every study I'm aware of that's been done on that shows the opposite is, is true, that those kids do, do better. And aside from that, I think just, there are just cultural benefits 
from it. It's the same way there are cultural benefits from having music programs in in school. So I think I think the jury might still be out on it, but I think it's it's kind of a fun thing. And in, in parts of New York City here in the Bronx, they're doing French schools. And um, yeah, I'm 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 for them. We're going to take another break. When we come back, more with William Alexander. His book is Flirting with French, How a Language Charmed Me, Seduced Me, and Nearly Broke My Heart. Uh, he, uh, he essentially fell in love with France when he was a young man, and uh, um, when he was 57, he decided, I'm going, to, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to learn French. I'm going to go to France. Uh, we'll ask him when we come back what the best, uh, at the end of this, and he used computer programs, he went to France, uh, the whole nine yards, what the best way to learn language is. And he also talked with uh, some scientists about machine translation. And we'll ask him uh, if he, he thinks what his prediction is, will machines ever be able to, I guess, bypass our need to learn language? Will they ever get that good? Uh, more with uh, William Alexander following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the 12th Annual Moab Folk Festival, November 7th through the 9th featuring Shook Twins, Richard T. Epperson, and others, food vendors, and arts and crafts from around the globe. More at moabfolkfestival.com. On the next humankind... We are using a lot of oil. We are uh, emitting a lot of global warming pollution, carbon dioxide pollution of the atmosphere. Our cars and light trucks alone are 20% of U.S. carbon dioxide pollution, which is causing global warming. The environmental footprint of private automobiles compared with public transportation... I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Passengers on Humankind. Thursday night at 8.30 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We have another 10 minutes or so left with William Alexander. We're talking about his book, Flirting with French, How Language Charmed Me, Seduced Me, and Nearly Broke My Heart. At age 57, he set out to learn French. He uh, was already in love with French culture, and uh, so he, uh, he got Rosetta Stone, uh, prepped, went to France, um, and uh, we'll, we'll ask him uh, where he got to. We'll, uh, we'll also be talking in this segment about machine translation. Um, but uh, first of all, William Alexander, I want to ask you at, at, at the end of this, what would you suggest to people, how best to go about this? Uh, what did you find to be the most effective thing? Well, you know, you're kind of limited by what you can do. The most effective thing I was told, and not with irony, <laughs> I was told, well, you have to move to France. <laughs> you, know, you have to take immersion classes in, in, in France. We'll assume most of us can't do that. I did do that for the last two weeks of my study, and I think I, I learned a lot in those two weeks. I, I ramped it up. I started slow, doing things like row. Rosetta Stone and Fluence and, and others. I went to meetup groups. Uh, I had a French pen pal. I had a French Skype partner. I did an immersion weekend. Um, one good thing that costs very little is if your cable station carries TV5 Monde or TV5 Monde, which is the French language channel. Um, I used to watch the news in, uh, in France and some, and some shows in France. Some have sub, subtitles. Um, French radio on online, you can get French 
radio. But I think you really the, the weekly classes for me have have never worked. So if if you're if you're at home, I would say do as much self in in instruction as you can. A podcast called Coffee Break French is just wonderful. And actually, if people go to my website, which is William alexander.com i have product re- reviews on there i say do as much as you can at home but also take classes and and if you can classes with a native french speaker because you have to speak and social media see if you can get yourself on online with someone over in france that wants to learn english uh, some of this is high comedy. It's it's high adventure. I wonder if we tell me a, a few of those stories. Starting with uh, one of your chapters is titled First Person Shooter." There's some odd, uh, sort of some odd sensations in some of these programs. Yeah. Uh, so I said I started with the uh, the big yellow box, Ro- Rosetta Stone, and it, by the way, it's a total Im- immersion course, which is, it's a good idea, but you spend as much time trying to figure out what they want you to do as, as doing it. But you are rewarded at the end of each unit with this scene that is supposed to be like a, a, a you are there scene, where they put you in the middle of this, of this thing, and it's, it's done from the first person, and you might be at a party or getting on a bus. The very first one that, that I found was when um, you are you're crawling through the woods, and you part some bushes, and you're spying on a couple camping in the woods, which, don't they realize, is like the, the, a scene from every teenage slasher movie <laughs> ever made. And, uh, but you, you surprise them, and you say, bon, bonjour, and they say, bonjour back, ça va, and you're supposed to figure out what to, what to say back. So it, to me, while it was supposed to be you are there, it was more like a creepy first-person shooter video game. Um, and others had you picking up a girl on a, on a bus. It was just, it was just very strange. <laughs> but maybe they're onto something. Maybe they ought to get uh, you know, get the first-person shooter, the real ones, and and just have you uh, do it in French. There you go. Um, tell me about the, the sitcom you encountered out of Quebec. Uh, so this is a wonderful way to learn French because the French. So this 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 sitcom is in French, but it's in. Uh, uh, Quebecois French, and apparently the French don't consider that real French. I have a hard time telling the, the difference between the two. So there were subtitles in French on it. So you could listen to the French and actually see the French subtitles on the bottom. The sitcom com was barely watchable. It was just horrible. Um, but it, it was kind of a, ni- a nice way to, to learn French. Um, when my wife and I were in France, we had a, a waiter, and he spoke English perfectly. And he even seemed to have kind of an Eastern accent. And me being from the East, I, I picked up on that immediately. So we called him over, and I, I said, you must have spent some time in the, in the States. No? And he said, no, no, I've never been to the States. <laughs> How did you learn English? Your English is perfect. I'm thinking they must have some secret that we don't know over here. And he said... From watching Jerry Seinfeld. Wow, <laughs> that was just great. So if we take him at his word, that's that's all he did. That's, that's what he, he just did. watched Seinfeld. He watched Jerry Seinfeld. Now he probably started at a much young, younger age than I was starting, 
and uh, and what that. But of course, that explains the the eastern uh, twinge that he mm-hmm. had to his uh, his English. Yeah. We just have a few minutes left. I want to talk about machine translation. You talk to some people, Google Translate and, and other uh, programs. Uh, there's, a, there's a funny scene in the book where you're talking with someone. I don't know if he's uh, related to Google Translate or IBM's programming. Um, but you ask him, you know, where is machine translation? How good is it? And where can it go? And, and he tries to use an idiom. <laughs> and that, that's where yeah. that's a sticking point. He says machine translation is a glass with half water. So yeah, he, he almost yeah, got he it. Was, he was he was Chinese born. This is at the on um, the I, the IBM labs. Uh, these are the same people that gave us Watson, who defeated the Jeopardy champs, is now being used medicine and so on. And uh, you know I, the the device that which by the way didn't we all think watching Star Trek like 30 years ago we would have this by 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 now. Um, we don't have anything like, like this, so he showed me a, a, a prototype on an off-the-shelf smart, smartphone, and it did a pretty good job. With this, with this prototype being in the middle, he and I were able to, to talk until I got a little bit cheeky, and I said, um, well, time flies when you're having fun. And, of course, you know, it didn't know what to do with, with time flies. Um, and then I, you know, I felt kind of sorry that I had done that, and I said, "I'm sorry." You know, language is hard, and to my surprise, it misinterpreted that. It 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 came up with the word "hard" is in like you know, gypsum is is hard. So that's when he said, "We still have a ways to go." It's 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 like a glass half full of water, and that does point out you don't realize until you start to study a language or you start writing about the language how much of it is. Idioms. I, w- I was amazed when I was writing this book how many times I found myself using an, 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 an idiom, things we don't even think about. Um, and that makes language really hard because there's nothing, there are no rules to learn. You pretty much have to memorize it. That's a lot to memorize. Uh, it is certainly true. That, that seems like a big roadblock to not only humans learning another language, but, but machines. What, the scientists you talk to are... I guess there have been predictions since the 1950s that were close to perfect machine translation. Where do they think we are now? Well, you know, the reason that I, I went over to, uh, to Watson's uh, neck of the woods over there was that um, I, IBM had five years earlier published their annual five and five list, which is a list of five technologies they expect to see in five years. And, and this was one of them, uh, a handheld language tran- translator that didn't rely on being on, online, that they said everyone would, would, would have. So that's why you know, I went to see it and, and what the state of the, of the art was. They're on the right track now. They've, they've changed the way they're, they're trying to do it. Rather than trying to teach a computer the syntax of language, they basically scour sources for things that have been translated by humans, and they grab those little pieces to see how, how humans have, have done it. It's a really uh, cool process, and I, I spent an entire chapter in, in the book talking about it. And when this was all said and done, I, I did find this article in the Times saying that a computer had translated Russian, and that we were only a short time away from no one having to learn a foreign language. Computers would 
would do it all for us. And the date of that article was January 8th, 1954. I was nine months old. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're probably still a ways away. Uh, we, we, are. we are at the end of our time. Um, just very briefly, I have 30 seconds. What, what are you on to next? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to get through this book, but I, you know, I think I have to listen to my own uh, prop, uh, propaganda here about how studying language is, is, is healthy for the aging brain. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to tackle something. I don't know what it's going to be, Spanish, Italian. I've had a number of people, as a result of this, offer me free French lessons, <laughs> saying they have the way I can do it. So I think I might take them up on that offer also. All right. Very interesting book. Uh, well worth the read. Flirting with French, How Language Charmed Me, Seduced Me, and Nearly Broke My Heart. William Alexander, the author, has been with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> Merci. Um, and uh, thanks for listening, and I hope you'll be with us tomorrow. Sherry Quinn will be back with uh, Science Questions. That's coming up tomorrow. Thanks for listening today. We'll head north on the next Putumayo World Music Hour and visit the largest French-speaking region outside of France itself, Quebec. I'm Rosalie Howard. Join me for Quebec, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Friday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. 